Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. This is show business. Show mm. business. Take care of your business and treat it like it is. If you want to have a successful business, treat it like a successful business. You want to treat it as a hobby, do whatever the hell you want to do. And I know that's not, I know we're kind of joking around, but no, that's, it's very that's it's, great to hear yeah, though. It, 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 you have the show and you have the business. You've got to equally balance both of them. It's a business. This is the business of Joel Byers. This is the business of Eric Lewis. This is the business of Mr. Showtime. Mm -hmm. This is your this is your company. What is up, Hot Breath of Verse? Welcome back to the Hot Breath Podcast, your weekly guide to comedy mastery. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and I am so thrilled to welcome you to Hot Breath episode number 192. Yes, we have had such a great run of this new series we did called Hashtag Road Trip Tips, where we broke down how to build your own tour, how to sell merch, how to do everything getting you out on the road and touring. And I thought this would be the perfect comic to complement that series. Our guest today is an OG comedian. This is a comedian comedian right here. This is like a 30 plus year performer, businessman. He breaks down all the game. And I can tell you, and doing almost 200 interviews, I have learned just as much working with this guy and just speaking with him off the record than I have in my interviews where I've sat down with comedians. The first time we worked together at the Comedy Catch, I was blown away by his show and just his fan base. This guy was having people come back five, six, seven, eight, nine times to see him. He has an engaged fan base that every comedian wants. And he was willing, he actually volunteered after we met. He was like, all right, on Sunday, let's let's go get lunch. And we met up and I he just helped me out so much. He helped me get extra work. He shared so much comedy wisdom. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I know next time we work together, we're gonna make a podcast together. And this is the first of many I'm sure we'll do together. But he said, I wasn't sure we were going to be working together or when we are going to be working together again. And then as we were closing out and getting our checks in on the weekend, he said pretty much to the booker, hey, let's go ahead and have Joel come back when I'm here next time. It, he is the prime example of just what comedy is and what comedy should be and how comedians should treat each other. We are a community and he's a prime example of no matter how far along in your career, you're never too far along to just help a fellow comedian. So I hope you can take that with you as well. But this is a raw interview. We did it at the same restaurant we met up before the first time we had worked together. So the audio was recorded on my phone. It's raw audio, but it's that nitty gritty, kind of like that Drew Thomas interview we did at the Waffle House where it's just that raw comedy talk. This episode is what Hot Breath is all about. It's featuring Eric Lonis, a Chattanooga comedian who I've worked with several times. And I hope 
you enjoy it and find it valuable, stay tuned in the outro for a very special announcement I have. But let's get right into this interview. I don't want to hold you up anymore. So with all that being said, if you enjoy this, share it with your fellow comedians. And there's only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath with David, All right. Mr. Showtime, Scott. Hey, y'all. All right, so here we go. This is, this is going to be so good. I'm so excited. Welcome back, Hot Breathverse. Hot Breath. Hot breath. Hot breath. We have a uh, <laughs> we have a raw comedy talk today. I'm in Chattanooga right now, working with Mr. Showtime for the second time. We went out, did our little um, ritual where the headliner takes the feature out. Last time we worked together, and this guy was full of so much information about comedy. I knew he would be the perfect mentor for the Hot Breath Verse. He asked me to come back work with him again. Luckily, I don't know why, but um, <laughs> we're glad and we're all better for it. So prepare yourselves for a raw comedy talk. We have Eric as well. Eric Lones, yes. how you pronounce it? He was hosting last time we were here in Chattanooga. He wanted to come out here and learn from Mr. Showtime as well. So prepare to take notes. Just learn. This is the side of comedy most people don't yeah. get to hear and see. So that being said, gentlemen, welcome to the Hot Breath of Earth. Hot Breath. So I'm so excited to, to actually record our talk this time because last time we talked. You it, took notes. I, I was yeah, taking you, notes. You were taking notes. You were so generous with not only information, but you shared like Booker information and just so many tips. And after last night, <laughs> uh, I'm glad we're doing this because like. It's, it's funny, in doing this show, I've interviewed people 20 years in who are even saying, I'm just now figuring this out. But mm. as we start in comedy, we're like, I'm nine years in, and I'm like, oh, at nine years, you're going to be bulletproof. And then last night, I had two great shows Friday night, and then Saturday, both shows were just like pulling teeth. And I was like, which oh. Is, which is unusual, because usually it's the other way around. Oh, the, the Fridays usually yeah, the rough well, one? Yeah, Fridays are usually play a little bit harder, a little bit tougher. Yeah. Especially late show Fridays. But yeah, I, I, I blame your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people were it's roasting my shoes. shoes. It's all yeah, the shoes. yeah your, your shoes. Your, yeah, I don't know what it is, but yeah, you... Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I told you last night after the show, I had more respect for you after the show you did because you stuck with it. You didn't you didn't bail. You didn't change a single line. You said this is my material. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to change who I am. And I had a lot of respect for that because a lot of wow. comics when they are on stage and they are bombing or they are getting nothing in response to just silence, they'll start doing crowd work. They'll start dropping F-bombs. Right. They'll start maybe turning on the audience. Uh-huh. Um, you were like, I'm just going to do my jokes. I'm just going to do the jokes. And and you stuck with it. And that, to me, is a sign of a pro. That's what a real pro does. Okay. A real pro goes, I'm doing my show. Um, which means to me that you are a true comedian. A wow. true comedian. Because... The ones who are not true comedians, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I'd probably get some hate on this, are the ones that all of a sudden they're bombing and they just change who they are. They go, I'm just, I'm just going to throw everything out the window and I'm going to change who I am. I go, that's not 
that if, if that's who you are, that means you're changing for every audience. Right. And you want the audience to change for you. You want to manipulate the audience into your way of thinking, not not the other way around. Wow. Okay. So, so great. I mean. It wasn't just one show, it was both shows. It was both yeah. shows, after, man. <laughs> it was both. After, after the show, after the late show Friday, Saturday, uh, we, you you walked off stage, and you're a tall guy. You're like 7'2". You're like, you, you and Manute Bull can look eye to eye. And you walked back, and you took your t-shirt that you sell, and you just threw it. I, and you know Bridget's on stage giving the introduction, yeah. you know, and you just take the show, you just threw it and go, I hate comedy. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm quitting comedy. I'm quitting comedy. <laughs> and and I looked at you and I said, it's not that bad, hoping that you would believe me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's back there putting job applications down on the spot. Dude, uh, I was but, bad, man. It, it, no, but it, 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 see, it wasn't you that was bad. It, I mean, you did the exact same jokes on Friday and Thursday and killed. You yeah. were killing Thursday, you killed Friday, you killed Friday both shows, and the Friday Late Show was not an easy crowd, and you killed Thursday, you killed both shows Friday. You didn't change a single joke between uh, Friday and Saturday, and yet the crowd, and I think I told you the reason why I thought the crowd had sort of turned on you, mm-hmm. and not turned on you, um, didn't didn't buy into you, was because um, I felt like what you were talking about on stage felt like you were condescending to the crowd because I think it hit too close to home, uh-huh. which is not a bad thing. You just have to learn when you walk on stage, and this and this is what every comic needs to learn, is yeah. that you just don't walk on stage. Before, I've been doing this for 26 years, and even when I was doing my world record, even when I was doing cruise ships, even when I was doing corporate shows, whatever, I walk the room. I look through the room, I look, I get in the rafters, I go through the door, and I look, go, what kind of crowd do I got? I'm listening to them talking before the show. I'm listening to see what kind of group they are. And I don't think enough comics are doing enough pre-show research to know, you've got to know your crowd. You have to know your audience. And I think if you had done a little bit more of that, you would have started your show with less of the accent, Sumville, meth stuff and start more with your wife stuff. Because all your wife stuff and about being married and outsourcing and all that stuff, that killed. That was work. As soon as you start talking about, you know, I'm from Shum, Shum, right. you know, yeah. they were like, wait a second, that's how I talk now. Are you making fun of me? And that's how you started the show. And I think that's why they turned, they, they were like, I think you hit too close to home. Oh, so it's almost had to get them on my side before I could you take them there. always have to get them on your side first. Okay. I mean, you've seen my show now, what, 12 times? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and I look different. I dress different. My show is more of a Broadway show than a stand-up show. And I've got I get them on my. I gotta get every artist on my side within the first 45 seconds, because they don't buy into what Mr. Showtime is on stage. They're not gonna buy into anything. And I'm on stage for over an hour. In some cases, an hour and 20 minutes, depending on where I'm performing. Mm-hmm. And if they don't buy into the first 45 seconds, that's a long hour 20. <laughs> so and and so, if you see the way out my show, I open my show like a rock concert. Like the first, like I love bands like Kiss and The Police, and they way they open their shows with something big. Their first song is a hit. Right. Their first song is a 
well-known hit. Mm-hmm. So I go on stage as if it's a rock concert. So people are like paying attention, like, what are we seeing here? So I grab them, I grab them, I grab them. That first joke I do is always something local. It's always something local. I'm not making fun of their town. I'm actually making fun of myself for not understanding the local you know, right, habits. Right, right, right. I'm, making, I'm poking fun of myself, but the crowd goes, hey, he knows our town. Got him. Got them. They're mine. Mm-hmm. They're my crowd. And then I can do whatever I want after that. I can shove marshmallows in my mouth. I can put a straight jacket on. Um, I can dance around in spandex. And I, strip I, I, I can strip. All I can, that. I can do whatever I want. What is like the worst like show you've had? Because I'd imagine with all these moving parts, you've probably had some where there's technical difficulties or oh, yeah. wardrobe malfunction or something. Like what are? Well, what, what, what was it? It was. Uh, it wasn't the worst show, but was it? What was it? A uh, Friday. Um, was it first show Friday? The lights just went out during my show. During my show. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I, really? I, oh, yeah. I was outside. I guess. Yeah, I think I you're outside that. smoking and doing that. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, treat you that. Thank you. It was research. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Green means magic. Thank you very yeah. much. Can I get you guys anything else? Maybe some napkins. Yeah, napkins would be great. Yeah, we're we doing a podcast. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know about these guys. <laughs> yeah, we're at a place called Ribbon Loin. And, yeah, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I know when you live in Atlanta, you don't get anything close to barbecue in Atlanta. <laughs> so. If they have to ask if you're famous, I guess you're not. No. <laughs> I actually got, I was at, believe it or not, I went out to lunch with uh, Dave Carroll. He's a uh, newscaster here in Chattanooga. Uh-huh. And we went out to lunch, went to um, the Cracker Barrel. And... Uh, we both got recognized at Cracker really? Barrel. Yeah, we both oh, got recognized hilarious. at Cracker Barrel. And the lady who recognized us, the two ladies, they wanted to take the picture with me, not with Dave. Oh, and I wow. felt really bad about that. I was like, we want to take your picture. Dave goes, I've had you. Oh, no, not you. Oh, it's a showtime. So, but anyway, so technical difficulty. The worst, like, or bomb, because, you know, I get comments oh, I, in here talking about getting booed or, like, epic bombs. So, like... 26 years, you had to have some that you just unforgettable. Well, yeah, we've, we've all had bad shows. Right. And when you're a young comic, you have, you remember the bad shows. But after 26 years, I try to go back, <clears throat> what was the last truly bad show I had? And, uh, I don't know, you have to actually, I, I actually have to go back a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually here in Chattanooga at the Old Club. The old uh, comedy catch, they moved it. And uh, it was a late show Friday. And for what reason, the crowd just hated me. Just hated me. I mean, it was pure silence for an hour. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. I honestly could not figure out why. And I walk out stage and Michael, the owner, comes up to me and goes, wow, they hated you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my <laughs> and, 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 I, and I go, I go, I don't know why. And he goes, I don't know why either. I have no idea why this crowd just, uh, he goes, I don't know why they're here. Uh-huh. I mean, I, maybe they thought it was an, uh, uh, an, an Al-Anon convention. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they thought this was a drug awareness or this like, a, you know, they were came to see Jesus. I don't know what they were expecting, but they didn't, we weren't here for comedy. Are you doing your straight jacket material in the dancing, Well, no, this, 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 this was about 12 years ago when I first performed here. Oh. And I wasn't doing, I was the Midnight Swinger back then. The my, Midnight yeah, Swinger? That, that was, was my original character. Oh my Yeah. Gosh. So, um, uh, and they just hated me. And 
and I thought for sure Michael was never going to book me again. I, I was like, you know, he's never going to book me again. But the thing, the thing that club owners know is that one bad show does not, you know, make your career. Thank goodness. And now, and now, if you, and, and now if you go to the Comedy Catch a website, Michael actually has manager guarantee next to my name. I it's, saw that, yeah. Yeah, like if you do not have a good time at my show, he will give you money back. And out of all the comics he has ever booked in almost 30 years, I'm the only one he's ever done that yeah. for. Wow. Michael don't get so, money back for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so well, Midnight Swinger was like just like material? No, Midnight Swinger, I've always been a character comedian. A character comedian, I've okay. always based, I've never been what, quote, quote unquote a stand-up. Okay. Uh, I've always been a character. I've always believed that character comedy, character-driven comedy was more my forte. You know, like like Steve Martin was a character, the wild yeah. and crazy guy. Um, Groucho Marx, Charlie Chaplin, these are characters. And I always believe that my um, strength was portraying a character. I'm a big fan of Kiss. And I've always enjoyed Kiss. And the way they put on a show with these characters, the, the star man, space man, demon, Catman. And they embody these characters on stage. Well, I came up with, I didn't come up with the name. My friend Kirk Nolan, who was my mentor, came up with the name Midnight Swinger. And we developed this really crazy Vegas kind of guy. Uh-huh. And we built this show around the Midnight Swinger character. And I did it for 15 years. And I took it as far as I could go. And about five years ago, uh, maybe it was more like 20 years after Midnight Swinger, about five years ago, um, I took it as far as I could go. And I realized I got I got to make a change. So I called up all my I called up some really close friends, and I said, "Listen, I'm going to completely destroy my show. I'm going to break it down to nothing. I'm going to get rid of everything. Break it down to its basic. How would you describe me in one or two words? How would you describe me, David Scott, in one or two words?" And they all came back with either some variation of Showtime, Showman, you know, it's the show. And it was always show. Show was in the name. So I started thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. So I went online and started searching Showtime, Mr. Showtime, I am Mr. Showtime. And it turns out no one owns I am Mr. Showtime. No one owns the website, no one owns the Twitters, no one owns the Instagram or the Facebook. So I got it. I got the I got the, the website, I am Mr. Showtime.com. Started doing all this Mr. Showtime and the show just completely blew up again. I started up again. I started getting you know, more and more bookings because people were like, when you see Mr. Showtime on the marquee, it stops you. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what's that? Right. What's that? So, and do you do you feel like most comedians are a character, even if it's a character themselves, in a oh, sense sure. that like, it's funny you mentioned you've made a shift in your show because I'm doing that and I'm trying to get more autobiographical and mm-hmm. more talking about me and my origin story and trying to create material that really only I could say. Yes. That, like, I couldn't just That's plug important. into That's another. important. Okay. Doing material that is unique to you mm-hmm. is the most important thing in comedy. Mm-hmm. Because the worst, thing you can, the worst thing you want to be is generic. The worst you want to do... Great, mm-hmm. thank you. The worst thing you, can, you want to do is go, if Joel Byers gets sick... We can replace him with this guy. Right. And no one would know the difference. Right. That's the worst thing you want to happen to you. You've got to be unique. You've got to be who you are. Your material has got to be unique to you. No one else can do your stuff. So what the sense I get from you, and I and I, I think I may mention the first time I saw you, is that you have this storyteller 
approach to comedy. You are telling stories about your life, be it where you're from, your wife, you know, want, whether you not have kids or not. You're telling a story. Okay. I can't tell you jokes. I can I couldn't tell jokes about having an Asian wife. I don't have an Asian wife. Right. Those are yours. Mm-hmm. So, what you need to do, in my opinion, is expand on that and get rid of the generic, you know, accenty. You know, we don't sound like that. You know, type of you know the kind of stuff that you're doing, like the shamble. You know. Type but that of is literally where I'm from. I understand that. Yeah. But it's not unique to you. Oh. See what I'm saying? Wow. It's not unique to you. Wow. It's unique to it's, it's everybody. What's unique to you? That is what sets you apart. Exactly. How you met your wife. Dude, you that's gold. Her. Every comedian needs to remember that. Yeah. I mean, you look at the great comedians. They do stuff that if you hear someone do, let me put it this way. I don't know how old or young your listeners are or your watchers are. But there was a time when Eddie Murphy was the greatest stand-up comic in the world. Mm-hmm. In the world. And he did a bit about wanting to get um, the ice cream truck. Yeah. All right? I got my ice cream. I got my... Anybody else that tried to do that joke or that bit, everybody goes, Eddie Murphy. It was unique to him. Was the situation unique? No. Was the way he did it unique? Yes. That's what made it. That's what made him great. That's okay. what made him legend. Okay. So you've got to do. If you're going to do something that is going to be general, you better make it unique to you. I mean, I talk about when I'm on stage. I did someone just fall down? Oh, no. <laughs> There's old people around us yeah. with the lunch crush. <laughs> I mean, uh, so like I do jokes, you know, about the station wagon or lawn darts or. You know, I do a bit about McGruff the Crime Dog. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one who does a joke about McGruff the Crime Dog. The way I do it, if someone tries to do it like me, they'll go, that's Mr. Showtime. That's what you need to work on. That's what you need to focus on. Material that's unique to you. Okay. That's been my big shift is like, as I'm approaching 10 years on this, is like, all right, I, you know, I want to be saying something. I want people to be learning about me because... Yeah. And since I've started to make that shift, now I'm getting people coming up after the show, like, not saying you're funny, but, like, that's funny. Like, they're like, oh, the thing you said about kids is just like, yeah. like, I'm starting to get those reactions yeah. now. Yeah. So that's how you know you're on the right track, I guess. Yeah, I think, I, I said this to you before, I think you need to be focusing a lot more on the trophy husband line of your okay. show, because I think that is unique. And I think you can actually have that as a jumping off point of almost every bit you do. But you gotta hit it. In fact, I don't know if you believe it. I mean, you're on stage, I don't know if you actually believe it. Sometimes you see a comic on stage tell a joke and you know they don't believe in the joke. Mm-hmm. You know it. You said, yeah, he, he's telling a joke, but the audience isn't laughing. Because the audience will know a fake. The audience will know a fake quick. And they'll go, yeah, I don't believe him at all. And I think when you do the trophy husband bit, when you when you're selling it, you sell a ton of T-shirts after the show. I've seen you sell a bunch, a bunch of T-shirts because yeah. people are like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because women will buy their shirts for their husbands. Men will buy it because they think it's funny for themselves. Yeah, you know. But if you were to make that the centerpiece of your show and then build off of that, you can go all over the place because they'll know you as the trophy husband. 
And that is, and it may be kind of corny, but who cares? Your idea is to be remembered. Right. You want people to go, who was that guy we saw who did the trophy husband bit? They don't want to go, who was the guy who was wearing the dockers and the with the shirt? What was <laughs> They don't care about that. They don't, they don't remember that. They remember something you did. So it's comedians thinking about, like, how you asked your comedian friends, if you could sum me up in, like, a, wor- like a couple yeah. of words. It's almost comedians taking the time to ask friends or look at themselves. Right. If I were to sum myself up in a couple of words. Right. Yeah. It's hard to see the forest for the trees. When you're mm-hmm. when you're talking about yourself or try to be honest with yourself, it's really hard. Because we don't see what other people are seeing. Right. So you have to have an outside people you trust, people that you really know are gonna have your your best interest at heart. <laughs> She's all confused. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, why is there a camera? <laughs> No, we're we're gonna do oh, a we're, we're gonna do a slip and fall here, but we're gonna go viral. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> um, so, some people that you trust, people that okay. you know that are gonna have the best interest at all. Because let's be honest, a lot of comics are trying to sabotage other comics. I don't care what they say about this industry. This is a very backstabbing industry. And uh, so you've got to know who your true friends are. Mm-hmm. So when you ask your true friends, describe Joel Byers. How would they describe you? You know, and then take that to heart and listen to what they're saying, and then go, okay, what am I doing wrong? You know, because I love the stuff about when you go to Maryville College mm-hmm. and you do 60. It was 60 percent women yeah. to 40 percent men. Then you found out that 60 percent of the women wanted. 60% of the women. Right. That's a great line. That's a really smart line. I love that stuff. That stuff is so much funnier than the, um, you know, the whole, you know, you know, reform southerner, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a recycled, you know, white trash type yeah. of thing, you know. And all that, that is like somewhat newer and me being a little more, because literally like it took me a while to even just say like. I'm from a trailer. It just hurts to say that. Yeah, but it's fu- but w- the way you say it is funny. You say it's like an Airbnb and a, what is an it? Uber. An Uber, Uber slash Airbnb. Yeah. It's a great line. So I'm just like exploring my origin story and where I'm from. Right. And it sounds like that's just a shade of it. Or uh-huh. some of like the hon- honky tonky stuff right. isn't well kind of. Again, I think that material hurt you last night because there weren't a lot of African Americans in the room last night. It was all. Oh, it was all, oh, when yeah. I tried to go yeah. into that, I yeah. was grabbing for straws. Yeah, I know. I could tell. That whole show, I, I was just tell. like, yeah. next joke, next yeah. joke, next joke. Yeah. I was in an inner panic. Like, yeah. it, it, the two shows last night were honestly the most uncomfortable I've been on stage in a long time. Well, Both of them. To your credit, you didn't look it. I, w- I, I quivered I, at I, one point. At, 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 <laughs> one, you didn't look it, and that's what impressed me. I knew you were panicked because <laughs> when, a, when, a, when, a, when a comic of 26 years... There's a younger comic on stage just really struggling. We see the eyes. We see your eyes. And your eyes started glazing over. Because I know in your mind, 
you're going through the Rolodex of jokes in your head. Oh my god! And you're like, you're actually ta- you're talking, but you're having an out of body experience. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking. We hear you talking, but you're in a monologue. Totally. And like, you what what was like a thirty minute or what was a five minute bit all of a sudden becomes thirty seconds. Yes. And you're like, oh. Oh, on to the next, on to the next. Like, I pulled out something, like, from way deep. I hadn't said in, like, several years on the second show. I was so desperate. Like, I pulled out this old sexting joke I hadn't said in literally probably, like, six years. Right. It just, like, popped out of, like, desperation. Right. I was like, I don't even want to say this, but I am <laughs> grasping for straws right now. That's why, and you'll learn this as you do this, get, get in deeper in the business, you always have a joke in reserve. And okay. things are going bad, mm-hmm. that's your reset joke. Okay. This is my, I'm telling this joke, I'm going to reset the narrative, I'm going to get them all back. doesn't matter what the joke is. It could literally just be a joke joke. Something that resets the crowd. It's like, you know it kills, It's it, it, there's no way it's not going to work. Uh-huh. And that's your reset joke. And you don't do it in your show. You That is that is break glass in case of emergency joke. <laughs> <laughs> That is gold. Oh yeah. my god. Always have a reset joke. Have a reset joke. And and to joke that you cannot have in your show. Because if you're bombing and you throw your reset joke in there in the midst of bombing, it's gonna bomb also. You gotta stop, uh-huh. take a breath, take a drink, and then hit your reset joke and then start again. It's almost like saying, I'm on stage for 30 minutes. The first 10 sucks. Okay, reset. Let's start this over with this 20 minute set. Okay. You always forget the 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen. I mean, we've all had rough shows where we have to do a reset, and I do right. have a reset joke, and I and I don't do it unless, and I haven't done it this week. I haven't done it in a while, but there's a joke that I have that if I need to reset, it's in my back pocket, and it kills. It just kills. And once the audience is laughing, they forget. Audiences are so forgiving if you try to be funny again. If you're huh. bombing for 10 minutes and then you reset and then the crowd starts laughing, they will forget about the 10 minutes. You know who's going to forget about the 10 minutes? The club owner's going to forget about the 10 minutes. They want to see what's the crowd like when you walk off stage. What's, you know, if you walk off stage okay. to Thunderous World, late show last night, and I even told you this, that was not an easy crowd. Late show last night was not an easy crowd. Even I was, my goal last night was to just talk louder than them. Because mm-hmm. they were they they weren't they weren't heckling, and they were talking about my show to the, each other. They were just so loud. So I had to keep on struggling and fighting to keep their attention. Yeah. And when I was done, the crowd's on their feet. They're laughing. You forget about the struggle that dealt with. Because I did. I was doing a joke all week about the highway here we have to come to a complete stop before we can merge onto the highway that joke's been killing all week what late show last night late show saturday night silence and i'm like this is going to be interesting <laughs> yeah you know uphill you know so and i knew okay they didn't laugh at that I'm like okay that's weird i did the joke about you know the local meteorologist started getting it back on my side started to joke about being you know finding out that i'm officially middle age they started coming back to me, and then I did the, and then I knew where I was going to get them. I knew where I was going to get them. As soon as I started about, talking about uh, Smokey the Bear and McGruff the Crime Dog mm-hmm. and Corduroy Pants, I, then the crowd, then I had them, then I had them. 
and then I lost them again because the checks got dropped. The checks got dropped, and the crowd goes, Haha, "Oh my God, we are, we're alcoholics!" <laughs> right? You know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we need to have a conversation. Yeah. That is funny. You mentioned them, the audience being forgiving, and I think comedians we can get we can get stuck in our head on like if one joke misses, then we start to shrink on stage, and if that joke misses, we start to shrink. But it's like. Like you, and you're, this is one of the best compliments I've had when you had told me after the first show, it's like you, you kept fighting and you kept fighting. But what I noticed is that a lot. some jokes hit really hard and then the jokes they weren't connecting to, it didn't hit at all, right. but they were still forgiving me and giving me that next chance. Right. Maybe right. it's important for comics to just remember just cause this joke doesn't work. doesn't mean the next one won't. I honestly believe in my heart that the audience is there because they want to laugh. They're not there to cry. They're not there to be angry. They're there because they want to laugh. Whatever reason. They love comedy. They had a bad day. They got free tickets. Whatever. They're there because they want to laugh. And if you have a bad joke, they're like, okay, we're here to have a good time. He's going to get the next one. Okay. The, the crowd wants you. The crowd wants you to succeed. There's no doubt in my mind, the crowd wants to see every comic kill. They want to laugh for 90 minutes. And I think that is very important to remember when you're on stage, that if you're bombing, don't turn on the crowd. The crowd is there because they want you to to, to succeed, because they want to have fun. They're paying money. They're paying buying drinks. They want to have fun. It's like going to a movie, and the movie sucks. You walk out disappointed. Everybody, no one goes to Avengers Endgame hoping that it sucks. Right, 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 right. <laughs> they right. go because, well, I hope this is a good movie. I went and saw yesterday. I really want to be a good movie. It wasn't. <laughs> the reviews lied to me. <laughs> it was cute. It wasn't a tour de force. But I want it to be great. You know, it wasn't. I walked out disappointed going, man, I probably should have gone seen something else. I didn't waste my money hoping to have a bad time. People come to a comic book, they want to have a good time. So if you have a bad joke, the joke doesn't work on you, don't... Don't. It's like a relief. A friend of mine told me it's like being a relief pitcher in baseball. If you have a bad game and you blow a save, you're gonna be called on the next day to come out again. You don't think about what the save you blew the day before. Okay. You go out there again. You clean the slate. You clean the slate, and then you go out and do it again. Is the is the booker, the 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 club owner for this instance? Like that was another part of like I see him in the back watching, and I'm like that's just one more layer of stress I'm adding to myself in the show. Like how. Like, I mean, how serious, like... That, that is a legitimate issue. <laughs> it's a, no, it's, it's a legitimate concern. Right. When it comes to the crowd or the owner, you know, Michael has known me for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. I've never seen him laugh at one of my shows, ever. Because he, he, just, he just sits back there and watches. He observes. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael's not a comedian, but he knows comedy. It's like Simon Cowell said, I'm not a singer, but I know when I hear a good singer. Okay. Michael can't do jokes, can't do comedy, but he knows what good comedy is. So is he watching me like, well, he's still fighting, or is he like, he's oh, yeah, kind of he, ruining well, my show right No, now. no, no. He, you're not, he's not thinking you're ruining the show, not at all. Okay. Because Michael knows above all else that sometimes, and this is going to be kind of crazy to say, because you never hear this very often, Sometimes crowds just suck. Hmm. And everybody says, never never blame the crowd. Never blame the crowd. And for the most part, they're right. You never blame the crowd. I never blame the crowd for a bad show. But sometimes crowds just suck. Am I blaming them? No. They just suck. 
Okay. And you had an, is- an issue late show Saturday, more late show Saturday than early show Saturday. I thought early show Saturday you weren't as bad as you thought you were. I think if you were, had recorded, mm-hmm. you would realize, because I recorded part of your set accidentally. <laughs> um, and uh, you were not as bad as you thought you were on first show Saturday. Late show Saturday, things got off the rails when you did a joke. Um, the two most popular languages are Spanish and Chinese. And you go, who here speaks Spanish? And some, I'm not going to say who, goes, no. Yeah. And you're like, it's like going, okay, we know you clearly want to build a wall. No, and then he, he yelled, this is America. I yeah. Know, but yeah. I just kept going. Yeah. But that oh, was just, wow, really? yeah. And then he goes, no, this is America. And I just oh, I kept oh, moving past it. But right, like, good for you. I was just like, good for you. oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I have six tags of this. I can't do anymore because nobody no, wants to hear them. Well, again. And then you pull the shoot on that joke. And then that's where like, know your audience, know the thing. But yeah. a guy said that. And you're thinking, okay, this is a build-a-wall crowd. And, and I don't talk politics on stage. I never talk politics on stage. Off stage, I am very political. I am very opinionated. And I believe the way our country is going is the wrong direction. But you have a crowd here in Chattanooga, you know, it's 99% build-a-wall supporters. Mm-hmm. So... You should know that going in before you do a joke like that. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I had this whole act out with a book titles I shouldn't have done either. Like, I love. You've been doing that all week, <laughs> and it's been dying all week. <laughs> it just doesn't crescendo. Like, well, that well, the problem is, is I don't think they know. Dying all week. I don't think people know their book titles. <laughs> I tried to spoon you, feed when, it last when, night. When, when you I said go, these are book titles. I, I, when you go. Here at Sweet Valley High, I'm going, no one knows that's a series of books. I know. I don't, it's sad that I know them because they're for girls, but I know that's Sweet Valley High. <laughs> and I go, you did that on Thursday. It went okay. You did it first show Friday. It went okay. And then it just went downhill. And I go, and, but, you, but, but, but I respect you because I go, I am doing this bit. I am hammering this bit through because the whole bit is almost for the one line at the end. This kills at the library. I love that line. <laughs> that line cracks me up. I just, I cannot, I can't wait for you to do the bit. Just like, here you go, that kills at the library. <laughs> you see, I like doing that bit because it's an exercise. I want to get more animated on stage, which is why I like watching you and you almost like, provoking laughs off of gestures or your provoking response on your physicality mm-hmm. and i want i want to get more like multi-dimensional on my show like that which is and, why and that's good exercise which is why when you do the concussion bit about being tackled yeah that bit is something you be, you should be that should be one of the first five minute jokes in your five minutes okay within five minutes you should be doing that joke okay because you should you should be talking if you want to be biographical you want to be a storyteller you got to tell people that you used to be bigger. Right. You used to be 240. Uh-huh. You're, you're what, 6'7"? 6'4". 6'4". 6'4". 6'7 in heels. Or platform shoes. Oh, platform shoes. Those are my shoes. platform shoes. Those are my platform shoes. Yeah. So. Yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, sure. Hot breath. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be an edit. <laughs> um, so so you were so when you opened up your show being being biographical being you know a storyteller you should talk about I used I went I went to Division three school mm-hmm. you know I used to be 240 blah 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 and then you should be talking about I used to play football 
at the Division Three school and do that whole bit. I do that a whole bit about you know 60, 40 um, women mm-hmm. to men, all that stuff. And then go, I actually played football. I know it's hard to look at this body now, but I used to be 6'4", 240. And I never got a, and everybody's talking about, oh, concussions, concussions. I never ran fast enough to get it. And then you do that whole bit. Right. Because that whole bit is just great. It is such a good bit. And the whole idea about you tackling the mic stand and your head is a, neck is a shock absorber. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And then you turn around and then you're sort of like humping Yeah, the that all mic happened stand. this week. That all it's, evolved it's, into it. It's really, really good. And then you do the line in the like, you're in the, and then when you have him grab, have him grab that, you go, I'll see you in the shower. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then you do like a little pat on the butt. Good game. You know, whatever, whatever you do, it's really, really good. It sets a tone for what your show is going to be. Okay. It sets a good tone. And then once the crowd is on your side, once the crowd likes you, you can do everything about the accents, about Chinese, about you can do all that stuff because the crowd likes you. They like you. They're not gonna unlike you. Once the crowd likes you, they're not gonna unlike you. Wow. It's true. That's gold. Cool. Once they like you, they're not gonna unlike you because they go, I like this guy. Well, that joke wasn't so good, but I like him. I like him. And that's the key. You know, they're not gonna unlike you. It's very rare that you're killing for 15 minutes and the crowd then starts booing you and tells you to get off stage. Mm-hmm. It, it happens. It's rare. Okay. But once they like you, they're gonna always like you. So be thinking of like comics when they're thinking of their opener. It's like, well, one, have an opener that's like guaranteed laughs, but also that sets a tone. That sets the tone for their entire show and right. what the audience is in for. Right. I guess. Right. A lot of comics are told, save your best joke for last. I completely disagree. Hmm. I can because if your best joke is the last thing they hear and you've been sucking for 20 minutes, <laughs> they've tuned out. Right. One of your best jokes, that's why I say a band like Kiss or Prince or whoever the big star is, when they open the show, they open up with one of their biggest hits. Kiss opens up with Detroit Rock City or Love Gun. That's one of their big hits. You know, Prince opens up with Let's Go Crazy, maybe his biggest hit. Mm-hmm. Sets a tone for the evening. <coughs> Comedians have got to do the same thing. You can't. You can't hold your best joke in reserve. You gotta open up within the first five minutes. Your one, if, if not your best joke, at least one of your top three mm-hmm. that you know is gonna kill. Will you be like going, oh, I'm not, how am I gonna close the show? If your whole show is based on one closing bit, you're not ready to be on stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, wow. I, I, I mean, my show literally has five closers. <laughs> I got five. I, there are five different bits that I have that I can close my show with. Literally, I mean, I've got my I got my big finale, which is obviously closer. I can close the show with the marshmallow bit. I have. I can close the show with the straight jacket bit. I have. I can close the show with the um, McGruff the crime dog. I have. I can close the show with the a bit that I had not done all week, which is which is this mind reading bit where I sing when doves cry. These are all closers. These are these are legitimate. End the show, thunderstorm applause closers. Mm-hmm. None of them are, but they're spaced out throughout the show. Like it's like you go to a fireworks show and the fireworks are boom, 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 yeah, you know. So I don't save all my best jokes the last five minutes. That's that's silly. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. So you need to open up your show with one of the with one of the um, 
big jokes in your show. Do you find what I've noticed in not only when we met last time, and then you were so generous to like in in the office, you like let's have them back open for me when we're here in August. You know, yeah. like well, I like you immediately. You're, you're a good writer. You're a great writer. You like the see, I want and when I was talking to Rich Voss, he was like most comics talk from the head and not from the heart. So I'm trying to insert the heart into it with all the autobiographical stuff, now, right? And kind right. of combine that writing with like the heart behind it, though. It's true, but Rich Voss, what Rich Voss is basically saying in that comment, and I'm trying to get in his head, is again, speak to what you know. Right. You know what? Who is Joel? Who is Comic X? Speak to what you know. Speak from here. If you believe it, the audience will believe it. If you do a Ooh. joke, if you do a joke about being abducted by aliens, anybody knows it's a lie. Every joke has to have a shred of believability. Every joke, no matter how outlandish it is, every joke has to have a shred of believability. Because if it doesn't, the crowd will know you're lying and they know that's not real. And that's, to them, is not funny. They, they want to believe it. They want to believe that you really tackled the guy and said, I'll see you in the showers. Did it happen? No. But could it have happened? <laughs> yeah, that's that, true. That's, the, that, that's what's funny. That's yeah, where the funny Could it have happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have happened. Like I do a joke about, you know, dialing um, the fire department by using a rotary phone. Right. Me going seven, three, did it really happen? No. Could it have happened? Yes. Uh-huh. And that's why it's so funny. And you, you're a working comedian. And this, this is like, like, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird to well, well, listen, you're listen a to working what, comedian. and I'll clarify it because this has come up more and more on the podcast. And I was just talking with Robert Kelly about this. Great guy. The, like, yes. So nice. And he, I mean, he would roast me a lot, but that's endearment from him. Yeah, it is. But he, um, him and several other comics have been harping more on like you're not you're not trying to be Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is not he's not the benchmark. The benchmark is to create a living doing what you love which is comedy. It's not trying to become like the 1% of comedy. It's like creating a sustainable career sure. around this craft. And oh, you're yeah. someone yeah. 26 years after I discovered you and then this guy is always booked consistently consistently working like you're a successful comedian yeah i could i I think so you know you like you are and it that was a big mindset shift for me that's like oh kevin hart isn't the goal is to make this like a like a livable job like to make this we all can't be warren buffett we all can't be a ceo yes and i think more comedians need to understand that mindset that like make this your job and you can make period you can make this a career you can make a career out of comedy it takes determination it takes hustle, it takes ambition, and it takes perseverance. Probably perseverance is should be maybe n- number one. Perseverance. Because you will get rejected. I've been fired. I was fired from a comedy club called Knuckleheads in Minneapolis. Um, Rich Miller, Dennis Miller's brother, fired me. Thought I was horrible. And it, it was early in my career, 1999. Early in my career. How many years into your career was that? Uh, six. Six years. Yeah. Okay. But I was still, I hadn't figured out exactly. I, it, it was right after that firing that I created the Midnight Swinger. Huh. Because I knew that I, there was something wrong. There was, I was doing something wrong. But I used that as motivation because I wanted to tell him F you later. Mm-hmm. And I did. 
I was able to not at you oh, directly, oh, but I, didn't I know if you... but, I, but I was I was able to uh, <laughs> I was able to um, you know reach a level where he called me up and he did not remember me at all oh. and I was oh, wow. like no I'm not gonna work for you wow <laughs> and to be the power to say no is what having the ability the word no is the most powerful word. wow it's so powerful so okay again you can make a living a career a good career out of doing comedy if you put as much effort into it as if you would if you were uh, a young manager at a corporation and you wanted to work way up the corporate ladder so you think to yourself okay i just graduated college i've got a bachelor's degree company hires me that's called company x to law firm they hire you as a paralegal whatever all right you then go to school you get your you get your degree you pass the bar okay we're gonna hire you as a lawyer and okay we're gonna give you these really horrible cases you're, you're just gonna you're gonna mentor you're, gonna, you're, basically just, you're gonna be writing briefs the next five years, you're just writing briefs, but you're getting experience. And they say, okay, we're going to give you a case. We're going to give you an application to try it. Move up. And they move up. Okay, now you're you're actually bringing in clients. You're actually going to bring us in clients. Now you're making us money. We're going to make you vice president. We're going to make you an executive. And we're going to put your name on the door. Mm-hmm. You may never be the owner of that law firm, but you're now making a living as a partner in that law firm. Think of comedy the same way. Open mics, guest sets, grunt work, biker bars, outdoor music festivals, the worst shit gigs you could possibly think of. You do those for a couple of years, but you're cutting your teeth. You're cutting your teeth in situations where you have to learn how to think on your feet. Every crowd's different. And all of a sudden it's like someone like me, not, not trying to put my, pat myself on the back, you work with someone like me. I dig you. I want you to work with me again. I tell Clubo, put your old back on the show in mm-hmm. August. And now you've worked this club twice. It's like, okay, now the club knows you. And now you start working, you know, and now people start re- seeing your name. It's like, okay, I'm not headlining. I'm not a superstar. I'm not a special event, but I'm featuring consistently. All right? You do that for a couple of years. You start making connections because this business is all about connections. You start making connections with other comics. Comments like me, who have the power to say, I want Joel on the show. I'm gonna bring Joel with me. Joel's gonna open for me. The clubs, if they respect me, and most of them do, will go, if you say Joel's good, he's on the show. They won't even, they won't even ask for a tape. Mm-hmm. They'll go, yep, you said Joel's good, pop on the show. And he's like, okay, now you're starting to featuring. And all of a sudden you go, listen, I'm gonna be there Friday and Saturday, but they need you Wednesday through Sunday, so you're gonna headline Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And all of a sudden, okay, now you're split weekend. Now you're headlining on Wednesday and Thursday and Sunday, and I came in on Friday, Saturday, you open for me. And all of a sudden, okay, they see it as a headline. And now, and we're talking 10, 12, 14, 15, 18, 20 years. Within that time, you are moving up the ladder, and the whole time you are making a living doing comedy. Mm-hmm. That's perseverance, that's ambition, that's drive. And that's what this is about. I kn- dude, I knew, I knew this was gonna be one of our best episodes because <laughs> <laughs> just because of the talk we had last time, we worked together. I was like, this guy is a well of information, and I can tell you, you care about comedy, and you care about yeah, comedians. I do. Like you're just. You're I don't so care about all comedians. <laughs> you care about helping the ones that. When I see passion, you know will like. When I see passion, apply it. yeah. No, when I see passion. More than anything else, I don't need to see funny. I know funny. I know what someone can do. I see what's on stage. What I look for is passion. 
Is this what they want to do? I know somebody who's just doing this as a part-time gig. Nothing but respect for them. Nothing but respect. They're not trying to get on the road. They're not trying to, you know, create a show. They're not looking to travel the country. They want to work within five, six hours of where they live. That's that's who they are. And I respect that. That's that's the life they do. And, and maybe it's because, you know, they're married, they've got kids, they got in the game late. Nothing wrong with it. They have a type of passion, but not what I'm looking for. You, when I met you for the first time, and we had never met before, mm -hmm. you were actually a cancellation villain. Someone who else was yes, I was. Yes, yeah. and I don't know who the I don't know who that comic was who you filled in for. Someone canceled, mm -hmm. and they said we're going to bring. Hey, can I can't do it. This guy Joel is going to come in and do it. I don't know who he is, but it reminds me of the story when the quarterback gets injured and the backup quarterback comes in <laughs> because this guy you canceled, you know, may have been you may have been you and I'd be talking to him right now right but I saw your passion I saw you on stage going this guy loves comedy I get to see it I mean you and, and again this is no disrespect and I, please don't take this way because it's meant no. to be a compliment no no you weren't blowing the roof off the joint you weren't getting standing ovations crowds dug you and you were funny which is important but what I saw above everything else was that you loved being on stage you were actually looking forward to hearing your name and walking on stage. You had a smile on your face when you walked on stage. I've seen it every night this week too. You walk on stage with a smile. I see some comments walk on stage just looking pissed. I'm like, going, why are you angry? Yeah. <laughs> why are you? You should. You're doing. You're living a dream. You're on stage at a well-respected club in the country, mm -hmm. you know, and some some people will call this club one of the top 10 clubs in the country. It's been around for 30 years. Yeah. Rooms are packed. This is a this is a club that if you if you say the comedy catch in Chattanooga, people go, oh, I got to get into that room. I got it. How who do you know? You know, I mean, I had I had a comedian message me on IG going, oh, by the way, IG, Instagram, yeah. at I am Mr. Showtime, David Scott, please follow me. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, who said, oh, my God, I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about this club. Can you get me in? Maybe, I don't know. I'm not right. sure if I dig your style. Right, right. But, um, but my point being is that, you know, you should be walking, you walked on stage with a smile, you were happy, you delivered every joke like you meant it. And I'm like going, I like that guy. That guy's got that guy's got passion. So I took you aside and I talked to you. And then after the, sh the show on Sunday, we're talking to Danielle in the green in the green room. I'm I'm going back in August. I say uh, put him on the show. And Danielle's like, you sure? I'm like, absolutely. Just put him on the show. You right there. So you know you got booked like seven months. You had a booking seven months. Felt so cool. Yeah. yeah but again, and I and I would vouch for you again. Any club that asked me about you, I'm gonna say yeah. Strong feature. Put them on. Put them on. So wow. I think it's just a uh, it's a compliment to you because I see your passion. I see your love for the business. And you can do comedy like you can treat comedy like karaoke if you want to. Nothing wrong with that. You can go out to the the open mic night and kill it for three minutes, just like someone goes to karaoke and kills Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Mm -hmm. They're never gonna record that song. They're never gonna be a. a, a professional singer they're not going to tour right but for three minutes they kill tiny dancer and they feel good about themselves 
If that's how you want to do comedy, God bless you. Good luck to you. Thank you for thank you for having fun doing this. We need people like you in this industry. Somebody goes to karaoke and destroys and goes, I'm going to record that song. I'm going to put that song on YouTube. I'm going to do my version. And so I was promoting themselves. That's passion. So, And you doing what you do, especially with this Hot Breath uh, podcast, because when we started talking, this thing was just very tiny. It was very little. Mm-hmm. And within seven months... It has blown up. You've had Cedric the Entertainer on this show. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows that passion. 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 And now I'm going to do something that no one's ever done on your show before. Eat I'm going to eat corn on the cob <laughs> during a podcast. It's going to, there's nothing less sexy <laughs> than eating corn. And I, there's you know, no way to like halfway eat it. It's like it's yeah, all your mouth. Yeah, it's, it's your it, entire it, mouth. It's kind, of, it's kind of like, you know, um, going on a hot air balloon ride. You know, it sounds romantic. Until you realize that you're not alone. There's some guy controlling the balloon, you know, with the beard going, sorry, you're going, kiss her? Yeah, let's, let's let you enjoy that. No, no, we can keep on talking. I was just thinking of any... It's kind of cold. Kind of closing... Um, or any other advice you have for comics. I know you're, you're full of information. It's like... Is there anything that you have found to be most helpful that you've learned or any closing advice you can share for comics? Well, the standard advice, hmm, I hear this a lot, and it's, it's boilerplate advice. And before I go, I'm going to take a drink before the points inside of my mouth. Of course. I'm eating chicken as we... This is now the food cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... As I'm wiping food out, as we go, hot breath, and you, you, do, a, you do a quick wipe. You get it. <laughs> I love how um, people know the show that are on the show. That's so cool. Um, a standard boilerplate response to young comedy is keep on writing. Always keep writing. Always keep writing. Always keep writing. You hear that a lot. And I'm like, that's the advice you give to somebody who you really don't want to give advice to. <laughs> 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 and, I know, and I know it sounds cruel. I should go you know, to you know, it, it, It's it's, it's kind of like uh, you, you go get them. It's, like, it's it's like it's like it's like when you're playing football. You know you're gonna get your ass kicked. You know, but your dad goes, "Have a good game." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know you're gonna lose by 80. It's like when Alabama plays some Division two exactly. school, and the coach I like, go, "Okay, guys, this is Alabama." <laughs> The number one team for the past decade. But I don't have to say anything else except have a good game. Because it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> and then Alabama always lets them score the first point, And then the end of the score is like 116 to 7. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, so what I would tell um, young comics, and I love working with young comics. I've worked with... I love helping out young comics, especially when I see passion. So, well, I, I help out Larry. Help help you with some bits and some jokes and some timing. Um, I would say, more than anything else, nothing is better than stage time. There is nothing. There is nothing that you can do um, more to advance your career than stage time. And I mean any stage time. 
if you believe that you can only improve as a comedian by doing shows at comedy clubs, you are not going to make it in this business. So you've got to find places to do shows. Even if that means, and I know I, I've said it to some people, even if that means putting on a show at a friend's barbecue where you know there's going to be 50 people on the microphone. Stage time will make you a better comedian better more than any one other thing you could do. You can write your ass off. You can write the best jokes ever. If you're not telling them on stage, it's wasted. There's no, what's the point? So if there is an open mic, not a comedy open mic, I'm just saying an open mic. I was 1993, this is a great story. 1993, I'm living in LA, a place called the um, Inland Empire. Rancho Cucamonga, California. That's where I got married. I, got, I actually got married at the courthouse in Rancho Cucamonga. Surprise that what marriage didn't work out. <laughs> but this is 1993. I had just graduated from college, 23 years old. I moved from Columbia, Missouri, where I went to school. No, we're good. Thank you. I'll need a box. I'll need a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. No drinks. No, I'm good. Oh, all right. Super checks. Last question. No, I got it. You got um, it. So, um, he really is, man. so, uh, <laughs> he said he really is famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I've got thirty dollars. Really I've got thirty dollars on me. I must be really rich. Did my dad? Did my dad's famous? <laughs> he said it so like on the way out to like a fadeaway. Oh, he really is. Famous. <laughs> like, just, What's that? The buzzer. Three. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. Um. So okay, so well, hot breath. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1993, uh-huh. and I said stage time is important. Um, uh, we'll wait till. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Give to the famous guy. The famous guy will pay down there at the front counter whenever you're ready. Oh, I'm appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. My publicist told me where to pay. So it's night. Hot breath. We're gonna reset this joke. Yeah. So it's 1993. And I've basically been in the business for, I started doing comedy when I was 16 years old in 86. Oh my God. Yeah, Catch a Rising Star was the first place I ever did my, I did my first show. In New York? Like yeah, Catch a Rising Star? St. Louis. Oh my. So, it's called Union Station. My dad was a Broadway performer. I've been performing since I was five years old. So I've been performing since I was five. But oh I was, my God. My dad performed on Broadway, off Broadway. I was raised in the theater community. Anyway. First time I did stand-up, I was eight, uh, 16 years old, and then all throughout, you know, high school, I was in the theater department, in college, um, but I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I actually wrote a, a paper when I was 13 years old that said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote, I want to be a stand-up comedian. My mom still actually has the paper. Cool. And uh, so cool. Yeah. Was, uh, I, this is, I, I wanted to do this since I was 13 years old when I saw Steve Martin. Um, live the Universal Amphitheater. I said, you can make a living playing a banjo with an arrow through your head? How do I do that? Wait, did you see him? You saw him live? Or no, no, I saw him on HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah, he had already, he had already retired from doing stand-up by that point. Man, he's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, I love him. So, I'm just trying to get in, and L.A. is tough. L.A. is tough. And in 93, um, it was, uh, comedy was kind of on the decline. We had the highs of the 80s. Uh-huh. And now we're in the 90s. And shows like Evening at the Improv, Caroline's, uh, Comedy Central, people are now watching stand-up on TV. And the comedy club scene was dropping down. Oh, wow. So it was hard to get work. There was a time when you could literally just open up a bar 
stick a banner outside that said comedy night and the place would be packed. There was a time. Wow. Not anymore, but there used to be a time. Um, the, 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 those are the golden years in the 80s. So in 93, I'm just trying to get on stage. I'm trying to, I'm working as a house MC at a place called The Last Stop. But, uh, in Houston? I'm, no, in uh, oh, LA. Oh, in LA. There, there were actually two Last Stops. Okay. Last Stop in Houston, Last Stop in LA. Were okay. actually, it was actually Upland, California. They were connected. They were both owned by the same guy. Um, so I'm working there as a house MC, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just MCing. On my off nights, I really want to work on new material. As an MC, you got, you got a very limited base on what you can do. And I'm just looking for stage time. I'm just, where can I get stage time? It was four o'clock in Rancho Cucamonga on a Sunday at a coffee house. Mm-hmm. The coffee house went full, packed, every seat taken, 13 people. Open mic night, open mic day was. It's actually open mic day. Was for anybody. You show up and you get five minutes. I want stage time. I want to work on jokes. I walk in there. It's basically a room full of California hippies saying the worst poetry I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know it's is cliche. One guy was fucking playing bon- bongos. I swear to God. Oh my. The smog. The smog. Get rid of the smog. <laughs> and I'm like going, and in my mind I'm thinking, I've got to follow that. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, the crowd's going to be dead. They're going right. to hate it. So I, I was actually doing a Sunday at 4 o'clock in front with 13 people, basically... 23-year-old telling dick jokes. <laughs> wow. And the thing is, comedy is a lot like golf. All you, need, you can play 18 holes of golf and suck, but you have one good shot, and you remember that shot. It's like, I'm coming back. Yep. In comedy, you could suck for five minutes. You get one laugh, yep. you're like, I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, that's exactly it. So that, so to everybody out there, and I know you do a comedy class, which I think is brilliant. I'm glad that someone's actually trying to help with young comedians how mm-hmm. to how to write, how to start. I didn't get my water bottle, but um, oh, the hot breath water. <laughs> I, got, I have one in the I'm trunk. So, yeah, yeah. What I want? It's a hot, a warm water. It's a hot, hot breath bottle. It's a souvenir, man. Seth um, said he was gonna keep his. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you are getting people to do and I've watched some of the the clips on the uh, IG story um, and I'm glad you're doing that and I don't know what actually goes on in the class if it's just straight up writing it's performing um, but yeah, it's long, performing. yeah if you are you but all I would suggest is make sure they feel like they're performing set up the room so it feels like a nightclub, because if you're just performing in a bank, in a in a conference room with the windows open, if you were walking by, you don't feel the the realness of what's like to actually be on stage. So I would actually kill the lights, close the curtains, make make people sit like you're at a in, in a comedy club at a yes. comedy club. Get them to go. This is what it's going to be like. People are going to be looking at you. They're not at a long conference table doing this. You know, kill the lights. 
maybe get a, 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 a mic stand, a microphone that's working with the PA system, mm-hmm. a stool. You know, have somebody go, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ness Camino. Have an, a true MC bring them on stage. You know, get them to feel like this. And and they go. And I've been saying this forever. Never bring notes on stage. Yes. Leave the, if you Thank cannot you. memorize five minutes, you're not ready to be on stage. Leave the notebook at home. Leave it at the, you can bring it to the club, but don't bring it on stage with you. Yes. Nothing shows you as less of a professional than when you go. Anyway, so. Oh yeah. So my sister. I don't believe that. Exactly. The only one who gets away with that was Richard Lewis, because Richard Lewis made a joke, you know. But you, looking at notes just makes you honest. But you go, this isn't real. There's nothing real about this. This is fake. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a comic with notes on stage succeed ever, ever. <laughs> and none of the pros do it. So when you do those classes, and I again, brilliant. So glad someone's doing it. And you do performance, make it feel. Like it's a performance. Yes. Because I saw you do one was like going, okay, Jim's going up. Okay, go, Jim. Right. You know, move the move the table all the way. At first, I'd actually get rid of tables. I, I That conference table, I don't think you learn in the conference tables. Just sit down, notepad, go, just talk back and forth. I, I always feel like tables are a way to separate people anyway. Um, so I, I you know, just get the, ta- just get the chairs, set it up, you know. Almost have you teach the class from where the stage is, and you're talking to the people from the stage, you know. So they feel like this is a this is a comedy venue. This I like feels that. like a oh, comedy. Brilliant. This feels like a comedy venue, and then they will get the sense like, okay, I'm gonna go on stage and tell jokes, and nothing is harder than telling jokes in front of people you know yeah. and other comics, because mm-hmm. other comics will not laugh at the comics because they go, if, they, if I laugh at him. They'll think that I think he's funnier than me, and now they won't book me. You know, I will laugh harder at another comic if I think they're funny because I've got confidence in myself. If you have confidence in yourself, you got no worries. My my mentor Kirk Nolan, back in '95, gave me probably the best advice I've ever gotten in comedy, and I'm gonna share it. Um, because it. Uh, because exclusive. because uh, this is gonna come off as arrogant. It's going to come off as condescending. It's going to come off as elitist. But when you hear what I'm saying in its pure form, you'll get it. When you're a comedian, whether you're the MC, the guest set, the feature, or the headliner, when you walk into that room in your head, not out loud, in your head, you repeat, I'm the funniest motherfucker here. Doesn't matter if you're the MC, doesn't matter if you're the guest set, the feature, the headliner. In your head, you go, I'm the funniest motherfucker here. And if you think that, you'll start believing it. And then you will be the headliner, the special event. Because there's nobody in your mind who's funnier than you in that entire room. I've done shows with some of the greats, with some of the greats. And before every show, to this day, I'm in the green room, and I walk up to you. I have a good show. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying in my head? I'm the funniest motherfucker here. Have a great show. I'm funnier than you. No, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. That's 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 the mistake. Yeah. That's the mistake. I know you make it. I know you make a joke about that. I'm being serious about this. It's not about demeaning you. It's not about demeaning the comics. It's about lifting yourself up. Okay. To make you believe 
Because if you don't believe that you're the funniest person in the room, guess what? You're not the funniest person in the room. 26 years, that's the best advice. That's incredible how you can boil it down to just like mindset. It's all about the mindset. Oh my gosh. I mean, probably multiple times, we probably went up in our head, we're so worried about what's going on. Oh it can show on her face and show going on there. And if you just go up there with confidence, like you, he says. You've seen me yeah. do 16 shows now. Yeah. Every time I walk on stage, what do I look like when I walk on stage? He's undefeated. Yeah, it's, you're undefeated. Seriously, and watching yeah. you work every time, it's just like, yeah. ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not working. Like, you bring it every single time. Yeah. Like, and you know what I say for every show? I'm the funniest motherfucker here. That's right. I'm going to start doing that. You should. Yeah. Every every comic. Every, I don't know why I'm talking to the camera. Every comic. <laughs> every comic should do that. Every comic should do it. And again, cool. it's not condescending. You're not saying it to me. You're not saying it to anybody else. Right. I'm not walking up to you and go, hey, Joel. I'm the funniest motherfucker here. Have a good set. Mm-hmm. It's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. It's in your head. If you can't lift yourself up, then you're doing for a long night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. This, what I love about the Hot Breathiverse is that they reach out to guests and they thank them or they say, you said this or that. And I encourage, almost more than any other episode, please do this. But let them know where they can connect with you yeah um just like thank you or say you how helpful you were oh i i love talking to comics i love helping out if i can but if you want to get in contact with me instagram at i am mr showtime david scott Mm -hmm. um facebook but that's for the older comics out there over the age of 40 Mm -hmm. at i am mr showtime and my website very simple damnilookgood.com <laughs> you said that on stage and you're like, no, that's really, that's really my website. That's really my website. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've had that website for 15 years. I've actually had porn sites want to buy that site off me. I swear to God. You wouldn't sell it though? No, why would I? It's a, it's a, it's, it's the most unique website name in the world. How many people, how many people say this? Oh, damn, I look good. What that website exists? All of a sudden, I get, I get like, um, I get like a hit from, um, from like, um, like Uruguay. It's like when someone, you know. Types in, right. types in, like, I would, I would do it if I could have that, but oh, who's this midnight swinger, Mr. Showtime? <laughs> well, what, what made you get I, that? It used, to be like, it used to be my catchphrase. Really? Yeah. For Mr. Swinger? Show, yeah, midnight, midnight Swinger? Midnight Swinger. Midnight Swinger. Oh, my God. What a name. You can search it. The Midnight Swinger, it was all about ego and attitude, Vegas. And the whole show was about me saying, damn, I I had a mirror on stage. I took a picture of myself. I took a photograph of myself on stage. It was a great bit. I had, this is back when there were disposable cameras uh-huh. before cell phones. I'd have five of them on, I'd four on my body and I hid one in the audience. And I would just, I would just, oh, wow. and, and just during the show, I would just stop. I would tell a joke and go, damn, I look good. Take a camera out, click it, <laughs> <laughs> and then throw the camera aside. And then, you know, five, six minutes go by. I'll do a joke. I go, damn, I look good. Take another camera. Click a picture. I do that four times. And then, during my closing musical bit, I'd be in the audience singing Sweet Caroline. And there was a part of the music where the music would just stop. It would just stop. And I go, damn, I look good. And I reach under a table, grab another camera, and take a picture. And the, and the crowd's like, how many cameras does this guy have? That's incredible. <laughs> And now you strip like literally 10 layers. Like you have to put on that many layers. It's, 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 it's actually, I actually did a video. It's actually on Instagram. It's a sped up video 
of me putting how many layers I wear. If you include the underwear and socks, it's nine layers. Nine layers every show. Every show. And it's undefeated. The <laughs> show is undefeated. My friend Willie Farrell, who some of you may have heard of, not the actor, the comedian, mm -hmm. out of Des Moines, called the guy. He's the Godfather of comedy. Search out Willie Farrell. He's brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. His his entire show is almost all improv. It's a brilliant show. I love him. Hmm. We've been good friends for 15, 16 years. I was in Des Moines recently, and he did not tell me he was coming to the show. He brought his wife, and they came to my show, and my buddy Dwayne Clark, who's my my Midwest opener. Him and good friends, and I'm on stage, and Willie is talking to Dwayne. He's like going, I'm, "This is Dwayne telling me the story later." He goes, "Willie walked in. He didn't want, didn't want to know you were there. He didn't want to make you nervous. He came in after you started." And he walks in and goes, "Finally, Showtime has put on some weight. It's about time." He looks like he goes, "Now nah, I don't feel like the fattest comic in Des Moines." <laughs> and then the show goes on, and then and he goes, he goes, and then every ten minutes you take off another layer of clothes and you go, "Damn, he's still skinny." <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think of um, Craig Shoemaker, the Love Master. Yeah. Uh, his, his is like bravado and like like you're saying, the Midnight Swinger was that mm -hmm. character. Mm. And he he was on here. He said like the craziest groupie story we've ever heard on here. Oh really? The, there was there was a lot involved. In it. <laughs> it was, it was a, him being the Love Master. I would imagine. I bet the Midnight Swinger though. I bet you had some people after the show who were like, Hey, you wanna? I think. And not to get not to get kill the buzz and the beauty, but no. Um, and only because I treat this as I treat this as a business. Uh -huh. you know, I, I, I've you treat this as a business. I don't put out that vibe. I know there are some comics you put out the vibes like going, hey, looking to get high after the show, anybody got some stuff, hey, looking to hook up. I know some comics do it, and they're single, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Hey, we're all adults. This is show business. Show mm. business. Take care of your business and treat it like it is. If you want to have a successful business, treat it like a successful business. You want to treat it as a hobby, do whatever the hell you want to do. And I know that's not, I know we're kind of joking around, but no, that's, it's, that's it's great to hear yeah, though. It, the, the, you have the show and you have the business. You've got to equally balance both of them. That's so, cool. Mindset again. Mindset. Treating both that mindset. Right. This is the business. This is the business of Joel Byers. This is the business of Eric Lawrence. This is the business of Mr. Showtime. Mm -hmm. This is your this is your company. You know, granted, the Christmas party is going to be very boring because it's just you, but <laughs> you know you're going to get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this, man. My I knew pleasure. this was going to be gold. Uh, the, the last thing comics always do is they just look into the camera and let people Hot know... Let people know why they should listen to Hot Breath. Why? Did, oh, well, I think the best reason is the Hot Breath. This guy right here, this man, um, really cares about uh, comedy, really cares about stand-up. And I would not be on the show if I not see passion in this guy. So if you want to learn about comedy, you want to learn about, and we're talking about all levels of comedy, from the mega stars like such an entertainer, so someone like me who's just a lowly Guinness World Record holder. <laughs> The only one that's the only one in the comedy world who can say it. How many hours was your show? Forty hours and eight minutes. Forty hours and eight yeah. minutes. Yeah, I'm not saying that's not the greatest achievement in comedy history. <laughs> that's not for me to say. I'm gonna let the historians decide. What's more important, Heart of the City or longest stand-up comedy show ever? I'm letting you all decide. Oh, Heart of the City. <laughs> Heart of the City. <laughs> 
was so inside comedy of a reference, but every comedian's like, oh. oh Kevin's going to be mad at me. That's okay. We're about the same height. <laughs> I can dunk on Kevin. <laughs> Although he does know the rock, so I'm probably screwed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's going to Jumanji me. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, listen to this guy. He cares about comedy. He cares about what you need to make it in this business. So, hot breath. Hot breath. And hopefully, I'll see y'all again on the road soon. We'll we'll definitely be doing another one. Absolutely. Sure. We're gonna be doing more of these for sure. So we'll get into the world record and all that on the next one. But this one, I just wanted to be raw comedy talk in a way this show hasn't really done in terms of just like here in the middle of a meal, just like this is the truth about comedy. Yeah, so not promoting nothing. Thank you for sharing <laughs> oh, all my that pleasure, wisdom. my friend. My man. Thank you. All right. Oh, Eric, great job. We had a live podcast today. Great job, Eric. <laughs> you know, An audience member. <laughs> Sorry, right, Hot Breath of Verse. Get with it. Let the let them know where they can keep you up with you too, Eric. Oh, I'm on Facebook as well as Eric Lonas. And Eric Lonas, the comedian. Just uh, check me out. I do have a uh, YouTube. It's called Eric Lonas. Just check it out. It's L-O-N-E-S. And that's how you can catch up with it. All right. Well, comedians, reach out to Mr. Showtime. Reach out to Eric if you just want to feel good about yourself. <laughs> And your comedy career. Yeah, uh, especially Eric. He's got Eric. He sets yes. a very low bar. But reach, reach, out, reach out to Mr. Showtime. Let him know how helpful this was and what you enjoyed about it. And share this with other comics. And we'll be back next Monday. All right, brother. Right here on Hot Breath. <laughs> you both did it at the same time. All right, Hot breath verse. Hot breath episode number 192. Officially in the books. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Mr. Showtime directly on all social media. Let him know how helpful this episode was. Reach out to him with questions. He is happy to help. He wants to help. I think my favorite tip he had on this episode was asking your friends to describe you. And that can really help become a mirror to how you're coming off to people. Super valuable. That's my favorite tip. I would love to know your favorite tip. Please reach out to us on social media at Joel Byers Comedy and at Hot Breath Pod on all social media. Connect with us on our Facebook group as well, the Hot Breath Comedy Network. There's listeners from all around the world in there sharing their favorite experiences and tips and tricks and comedy and what they love about Hot Breath. So we're building a community here, people. And with that community, it has been growing. And I've actually carried that community over to our own Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash hotbreathpod, there's access to there's early access to episodes on there. There's extra content like my favorite writing tips and just all sorts of additional content. There's also a way for you to start getting set reviews on there and shout outs on the podcast. It's just an extension of hot breath to all the hot brethren and sistren out there. So, with all that being said, we do this for the sake of comedy culture. So if you do enjoy this, sharing it is the best way to support it. You can also support it by subscribing to our YouTube page. That's starting to blow up. We now have over 1.1 thousand subscribers on YouTube. Go check that out and leave a five-star iTunes review. If you're listening to it on the iTunes app, there's a quick way you can do it right within the app you can also there's a share button right within the app where you can start to share it on social media and share it with friends and family and comedians 
But that's all for me, all right? I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to be performing throughout the country over the rest of the year. I'm, I'm coming up in uh, Myrtle Beach. I'm going to be in Indianapolis soon. I'm going to be in Nashville. So go to my website, joelbyerscomedy.com, to get access to my full performance schedule, as well as new merch. I've created some new merch. I have one with my dog's face on it. It's all linked from my website. If you go to joelbyerscomedy.com and click shop, it links to the store that has hot breath shirts. It has my dog shirts on there, along with some cool trophy husband shirts. So holidays are coming up. Get your gifts. I also have trophy husband koozies as well if you want one. Holla at ya. Boy. I've never said that before. I don't know why I said boy. So let's get out of here. Those of you that listen for the first time, thank you so much. This whole show is like inside the actor studio for comedy. So if you enjoyed this one, there are over 190 other interviews for you to go back and check out. So please do check out the catalog, subscribe, share, and we'll be back next Monday. At the end of all these, I do thank my wife because she made the theme song for this show that so many people have commented on, especially on YouTube. People are really enjoying the song. So thank you to my wife, Erin Byers. And of course, thank you to you for listening and supporting and sharing. It really does mean a lot. Still in these early stages, almost 200, and I still feel like we're just getting started. So all that being said, I'll see you in the Facebook group. I'll see you on Patreon. And I'll see you next Monday right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.